0: Okay, today's message. We are in the book of Acts chapter 16. We're going to read verses 16 through 29 today. And my message title is Under the Hood. Under the Hood. The second missionary journey of Paul and and now he's accompanied by Silas and, and some others. He's in the region of Macedonia, uh, specifically in the city of Philippi. And he's now on the continent of Europe on this journey. He's in a very brand new space. Uh, He's meeting new people that he's never met. And uh, in circumstances and situations that he could find somewhat familiar maybe, but it's in a completely new environment. Verse 16 is where we pick up. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Uh, Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and Uh, turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. And when her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and he had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not Harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What an amazing passage, uh, an occurrence in Scripture. Um, As Paul is in Macedonia here, um, this experience is quite memorable, I, w- I would assume, in mean, any time to get thrown into jail. I think you'd remember that, right? Um, this message, Under the Hood, it's one of those messages that I-, I truly believe that if you allow it to get deep in your heart, it'll transform the way you live. I I really believe this that some of the things that we're going to talk about, that if you really allow to settle in your spirit and then you allow to take root in your life, it will change you. Like, change you. Right? There are some teachings in the Bible that I believe will accomplish that, right? Jesus is teaching when he says that true leadership and true greatness is about servanthood. That the person who understands that truth, leadership, greatness, is about serving that changes your life, like it flips it upside down. When the Bible says, love your enemies, that changes how you interact with people. When the Bible says, if you give, you will have more, that changes how you organize your life, right? And I believe today's message about the spiritual world controlling or have precedence over the natural world is also one of those truths. That if you allow this truth to really take root in your mind and heart and life, it will change how you view your life, the world, and your actions in it. It's one of those things, right? It's one of those things. And so I, I titled this message Under the Hood. And if you're like most motorists, the last time you checked under the hood was never. <laughs> Right. Like when was the last time you actually popped open the hood and looked under what was going on other than Charlie and maybe David. Right. I mean, they, they're probably the only two people that will open up the hood and say, hey, I, you know, uh, I can actually do something in here. Most of us, we open it up and we make it worse. <laughs> you know, and so uh, under the hood. And if you realize why do they have all of these flashing lights and all of the lights on our dashboard, they're all indicators or most of them are of things that are internal. In the car, right? Why is that? Because number one, we don't check under the hood. And number two, we actually need these flashing lights to remind us because we don't take care of the problems before they occur. And so we need to know that there's a problem to actually address it because we're not one of those, those regular maintenance where we'll actually check under there and fix the issues or address certain issues before they become problems. Right. And so uh, these lights are, are there to, to show us that there are certain things that need to be addressed, touched upon, right? And this message also it hits home for me this week. Um, most of you, you know that you know since turning forty this last year, for at least for the last maybe four, six, uh, four to four months or so, it's been quite difficult, um, like health wise. And I tell you, I like, like somebody turned on or like or off a switch. I don't know what happened. I was talking to someone else who was for like, what in the world is happening right now? Is this a normal thing for a person who turns 40 years old? Right. And I don't want to scare you if you're about to get there. Right. It's, it's really great. I promise you. Right. But nonetheless, there was something that happened and my body started to fail me. To the point where, like in the middle of July, I had to go to the hospital, and it was on a Sunday. And ironically, it was a Sunday that we had Subway, and actually today we have Subway. It just reminded me that, right? And so it, it's just one of those things, right? And so, uh, like my body was just failing. And there are certain things that became so unbearable, right? And things that I, I, I took for granted were so easily kind of a part of my life, even just some years ago, definitely a decade ago or in my 20s, but now it became so difficult just to do. And as I look in retrospect, being hospitalized was one of the greatest blessings of turning 40. And I'll tell you why. I mean, a slew of medical bills started flooding my house. Right? It's amazing. Just one night in the hospital. How, how many papers start flying your way? Like, it's pretty crazy what's going on, right? Uh, but nonetheless, the, the blessing of that hospital visit, as difficult as it was, everything that kind of was preceding that and the immediate aftermath of it, that the true blessing of being hospitalized was a proper diagnosis. It was a nurse practitioner who was administering one of the tests, a stress test, during my hospital visit that was asking a bunch of medical questions about my history, my family, and something popped up to her when I gave her a response. And immediately she added another test on my, lab, on my, uh, on my blood test, Uh, that was already being sent in. And after I got discharged, she, that nurse practitioner, she didn't have to do it. She was the one that called me a week after the fact of being discharged, where all the doctors and everyone was saying, "Okay, you're fine. I didn't find anything. You're free to go. You're you're good to uh, uh, assume normal day to day activities. But it was that nurse practitioner that called me about a week after saying, you know, you were discharged so early. I didn't have a chance to talk to you. But I want you to know that in your blood test, this is what is there. And she said, your thyroid levels are quite high, right? And immediately she said, go see your personal care physician and then from there you go and see a specialist, whatever needs to get done. And that's what I did. I mean, that day I called my doctor and from that day when I went, I went to go visit, I, started the, I think it was the following day I went to go visit and then from there I got referred to the endocrinologist and as everything kind of trickled, it was uncovered. The reason for my, my heart just kind of beating out of my heart, the re, uh, of my chest, the reason for my intolerable uh, nature for heat and all of the exhaustion and fatigue and all of the symptoms that I was feeling. The sleepless nights, not being able to get to bed, right? All of those things was a result. I thought of different things, but as soon as it was diagnosed and it was uncovered, suddenly I knew where to go. I started to kind of focalize the things that I needed to do, and it was through the help of a specialist. And the specialist I was only introduced to, referred to, because of the initial diagnosis by that nurse practitioner. And suddenly now after some months of doing this, right, getting all of my, uh, th- my, my scanning done and all of my visits preliminary over the first uh, you know two or three times and doing all of that now, suddenly now getting it treated over this last month, I feel fabulous. I, I, I feel great. My energy level has, has gone right back up to where I feel like it should be, right? I feel as though I'm not exhausted where it was like 10 a.m. I'm spent, like I dropped off the kids. Like, whew, man, my day's done, right? I don't feel like that anymore. But the greatest part of this is I feel like my focus is back. Whereas there were months during like that late, latter summer period where I felt so scattered. I felt like I couldn't really write. I couldn't do a lot of things. And it was just, I I couldn't concentrate. And as I see these coming back, I realize that all of these outer kind of manifestations of strength or focus, energy, right? That all of these outer manifestations is a result of addressing the things that are on the inside of my body, right? And it's funny how a little tiny gland on the side of your throat can affect your body that much. But by addressing the hormone levels of that gland, everything as an outgrowth in my body, my day-to-day kind of activity, that has normalized, that has come back to a place where I needed to be, how to function as a, as a father or as a pastor, as a husband, and how I just need to go about my day. And it's all the result of addressing a little tiny thing. On the inside. Something that no one else can see. Because I still, I, I like, you know, after I got hospitalized, I started getting messages and phone calls from people like from way back when, right? And, I, and I, you meet somebody that you haven't met in a long time. And they have this like sullen face, you know. It's like, is everything okay? <laughs> and I understand that. I mean, I'm thankful for the emotion and the empathy. And immediately what comes is, I thought you were so healthy. You look so healthy. Right. And I i was or maybe, you know, there was a phrase that uh, uh, that I was told before and it was called skinny fat. Right. It's like you look skinny, but you're so like unhealthy on the inside. And maybe that was me. Right. That, that person that was the skinny fat like that just looked healthy, but was not because I didn't feel it. And so when you flip this, the truth is that the condition of the inside is a lot more important than what's happening on the outside, than what it looks like, the appearance on the surface. And so we need to get under the hood. What's true for computers and cars is true for the body. I'd rather have a screaming computer and a screaming car than one that just looks good and just clunks down the road, right? That what's on the inside of us as people, our spirit, our heart, our emotional life, that these things on the inside of our being, the courage that is on the inside, these have powerful manifestations on the outside. But there are people that look all put together, wearing the best clothes. They have a gleaming smile. Seems like they're in the best place in their careers. Life completely packaged, put together, and everyone is just drooling, wanting to be like that. But on the inside, time will tell. It can just crumble, right? But there are folks who are on the outside It look so meager, so humble. But on the inside, there's a strength to be able to cope with any season of life. To be able to be content with whatever the possessions in life. Because the strength came from the inside. And so Under the Hood is about that. About addressing the inside. It's about understanding that I need to address the root. Not the fruit. I love this passage, Paul. Paul and Silas and company, they're in Philippi, Macedonia. Uh, Last week we talked about Lydia. We read that Lydia uh, became saved. She was baptized and her, her whole household was transformed right? And Paul is in this space uh, by the riverside, in a new city, in a new environment, and he's supposing that there's a place of prayer there. And when he goes there, he's finding that there's this little tiny girl just following them around. And she's just like, just there, that pestering little gnat. You know, have you ever had that gnat just always by your ear? Just never goes away. That was it. It was that little girl. It's like, ah, what is that? That's annoying. Get away, right? And for days, this little girl is just following Paul in company, saying, hey, da-da-da-da-da. Da, 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 da. They're announcing for them that they are servants of the Most High God. And Paul, he didn't like this type of promotion. right? He didn't like this type of, of advertisement by this girl. Right? But I love what it says in our passage. It says that Paul, being greatly annoyed, he spoke to the Spirit. He spoke to the Spirit. Not the girl. The Spirit. You can't miss that. Because how often somebody annoys us and we speak to the person. Our boss, whoever. They annoy us, I speak to the person. And our nature, our tendency is to speak to the people, to address the surface But Paul, he comes to this situation annoyed by this little tiny girl that's following them around and he doesn't speak to the girl. He realizes that this is just an outer fruit or manifestation of something that's deeper. And so he says he speaks to the spirit come out of her. I think that's so key to how we ought to live our lives. Not that you go to every difficult situation and you try to find evil spirits to speak to and say, come out of that person, come out of this situation. But the key is this, that in life when you look at symptoms, don't fixate on it. When you see problems at home or in the workspace, it is not just because it was a bad day. It's not just because it's a surface thing. There are usually some things happening on the underside That's causing this. That the root is fundamental, foundational, important. It is the crux, the meaning. It is everything. And the fruit just naturally follows the roots. What we see is a consequence of what is not seen. And there's a a, a reasonable application to this. Like, if I don't like the fruit... Don't just start hacking away at the fruit, right? It's like you got apples and you want oranges, right? Just don't put the orange paint away, you know. It means nothing to hack away or to try to change the appearance of the fruit, right? I I want my family to to look like it's put together. I want my my career to look like it's packaged well. And you just address the outside with clothes and cars and things and titles and business cards and this and that. You can can really put your schedule out there and say, hey, this is my identity. And you say that this is the outer thing. This is showing the world how busy and successful I am. And we can put a lot of things out there. It is just the hanging fruit. That's all it is, right? And if I have a problem with the fruit in my life, if there's frustrations and anger, if there's depression, if there's loneliness, these are just external fruits, And there's something deeper that needs to be addressed. If I have anger towards a person, that's a fruit. right? That's a fruit. Possible roots of that jealousy, envy, disappointment, abuse. Not being able to commit, that's a fruit. Possible roots. Abandonment. Ignorance. Over-parenting. Overeating. Sexual promiscuity. Self-hatred. Murder. These are all fruits. All fruits. And so effective psychologists, what do they try to do? They try to, they hear all the problems and they try to, what's, what's the root here to this? You go to a mechanic, right? If you got smoke coming out at the rear end of your car, it's because something on the inside of that engine is going wrong, right? They're not going to bring out the paint and say, hey, you need a paint job right now, right? That's not what they're going to be doing. They're a bad mechanic. They're just trying to milk you for something if that's the case. So a mechanic tries to address and isolate the root issue of the engine, the vehicle. You go to a physician, what do they try to do, right? They, they hear all the symptoms and they're trying to diagnose the problem. They're trying to get you to a root cause. That was the case for me. And as soon as you uncover the root cause, you then can properly have different hanging fruit in your life because you've addressed the roots. You've addressed the main thing. You've got under the surface. You've changed out what needed to be changed out underneath and so that naturally what comes as an outgrowth of that change that is invisible becomes something very tangible. But we are people that live by our senses, right? What I see, what I can smell, what I taste and feel and hear. These are the things that are real to me. And these are the things that immediately get my attention, that touches those natural senses. And that's why we respond to, the, to those surface things, because that's what's stolen our attention. But we need to, to train ourselves to say, you know what, hey, this is just... a. a fruit. This is just an outer manifestation. There's something deeper here. This girl is annoying as heck. And I want nothing of this. But realizing that there's something deeper here and addressing that, it solves the fruit problem, the manifestation problem. Paul addresses this Quite well in the book of Ephesians, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, right? And so he's teaching Christians, right? All right, you can stand up against the devil, right? There is an armor that you can have to be strong in that, right? The strength and the might of God. And what does he say? How to do that? You have to know that your struggle is not against the surface stuff that people taking up arms against you, nation against nation, all of the stuff that's happening on the battlefield, that's actually just an outer manifestation of something that's deeper than that. That your battle, your struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, he's saying. Get your eyes on the right place, know that it is our tendency to fixate on that which is flesh and blood. But there is something happening on the underside of that that is our reality. And the faster you get your eyes on what is truly real, the better you can address the surface stuff that you think is real. Get to the root. Get underneath. And once we do the stuff on the surface, that will be dealt with. That's so true in relationships, isn't it? Have you ever had a dysfunctional relationship? But maybe you were just, uh, there was enough grace, there was enough something, wisdom, and, and to be able to, to uncover what was the root cause of that dysfunction. And if you've ever had a repaired relationship, those get strong. If you've ever had a, a relationship that was in a place of dysfunction and somehow was healed through proper knowledge, shedding light on the right areas and addressing that, and you were able to find forgiveness and healing with one another, Those relationships tend to be very strong. And you address the root stuff. It's so true in our careers. If you're unhappy with your career or your workplace, there's something that's underneath that. It's not about your hours, it's not about the people. It's a part of it, but there's something deeper. If there's problems that follow you from workplace to workplace, it's not the environment. There's something on the inside. If there are problems that follow us from relationship to relationship, it's not the persons, the people. There's something on the inside. If I have difficulty worshiping God, there's something on the inside. If there's difficulty in my prayer life, if I have a hard time loving, if I'm impatient, there's something on the inside. And it's about understanding that I need to start looking in different places. I need to get my vantage point, my eyes, on the space that really matters. Second point, the spiritual world moves the natural world. We need to be clear what's the cause and effect here. All right? And so a lot of the times when we have problems we're trying to change the natural world. And somehow we think that if we change the natural world, it'll then trickle into something maybe that's beyond that. But the true key here is to change what's unseen, the stuff that's eternal, the stuff that's invisible, that I acknowledge the reality of a spiritual world and in faith, as I connect on a deeper level to my existence, to what I face on a daily level, as I, as I reach in and I address what's happening in, this, in my spirit, then it has a natural move, an outgrowth into what is physical. Isaiah, the prophet, Right? He speaks this of God's plans. He says, for the Lord of hosts has planned, right? That's a good thing, that God has plans, right? And this also, you know, we can participate in the plan of God. That's what prayer is, isn't it? When we pray, we're participating in the planning of our lives. Yes, there is an aspect of God's sovereignty that over, oversees all things, that He's planned it from the beginning of our lives right through the end. But God comes into the moment with us and He he hears our prayers and He responds to our prayers. The Bible says we do not have because we have not asked. And that means that prayer is powerful in that way. That I can actually join hands with God in prayer and affect what is reality in my life. But God has planned, right? And who can frustrate it? And as for His stretched out hand, who can turn it back? And what Isaiah is saying, if God does it from the invisible side, the spiritual, eternal side, on the natural side, it's it's done, it's done, right? And so the key is first initiating it on that side, and then what happens naturally, it just grows out of that. Another passage. There's a great lesson we can learn in Romans chapter 11. Paul was speaking to some believers. And if we know some things about the New Testament, the New Testament church had predominantly generalized into two kind of groups of believers. Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, or they called them Gentile believers. Right, And this is what we're going through in the book of Acts, isn't it? How it's going from Jerusalem, Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Paul is in Europe right now. These are non-Jewish communities that he's going into. Of course, there was the diaspora of Jewish folks all over that region of the world. And wherever Paul went, he could still relate to Jewish people. Right? But in the church, there were Jewish believers and non-Jewish or Gentile believers. And Paul, in the book of Romans, he gets to a place in chapter 11 where he begins to address something to them. And I think there's a profound truth that can be learned. And it's this. He says, But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Here's the imagery. Paul saying there's an olive tree of salvation. Right, this is God's family, God's people, right? And this is originally a certain. It came out of a Jewish community. Jesus being of a Jewish origin, right? So it came out of a Jewish faith, a Jewish worldview, right? The Old Testament. That's where this New Testament, New Church, is growing out of. And Paul is giving the imagery that this foundation is an olive tree, right? And because where he went to preach the gospel, there were plenty of Jewish people that rejected this. I want nothing to do with this message of Jesus that you're talking about. Right? And so then Paul turns from the Jewish community and he goes to the non-Jewish one, the Gentile community. Right. And God's grace was poured out upon them where they then became saved and were now a part of this tree. Right? And so he's saying, just because God took out the natural branch and he grafted you in, You weren't naturally a part of this olive tree. You being a wild olive were grafted in, is what he's saying, right? But then he gets to what I think is a very applicable point for this message. He says, do not... Can you go back? He's not there. Come on! My clicker, one of my battery. There it is. He says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember... That it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. And here we need to really understand that. Because this is applicable beyond what he's trying to say just to some Gentile believers in the city of Rome. That arrogance is saying, you know, the fruit is like, yeah, right? We're in. I'm on the tree, right? But if you peel that back, you're saying, wait a minute. You don't bring an identity to the tree. It's the root that gives you your identity, your place, your strength, your space. And understand that what's ever happening in the root, this is primary, fundamental. And what God is doing in the message and the work of salvation throughout history, this is his plan. So don't get arrogant in it. This is what God is doing. But the root is doing this. Jesus Christ is doing this. The gospel is doing this. And this tree that is growing is causing there to be fruit in your life. And I think it goes back to our message here. Just to know that it's the roots, not the fruit. You know, when Jesus said to those folks early on in His ministry, people were coming, and He said something profound. He said, some people were like prophesying in Jesus' name and doing miracles and doing all this stuff. He says, I don't know who you are. And it's interesting how Jesus would say that to those folks. Right? I have no idea who you are. I don't know you. right? And he began to turn the dialogue to imagery again, as he normally did. And he began to talk about fruit. And he began to say, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. He was saying to them, I see the fruit of your life. It's not consistent with the message that I'm teaching. You might on the surface be using my name, be prophesying and doing all these things. But as I see it, I know something true here. The roots are bad. The roots are bad. Because the fruit that I see is bad fruit. Because a good tree won't produce this. A bad tree can produce that, but not a good one. And so as Jesus walked the world, as he interacted with people in those short years that he was on the earth, he was clear as day. Look behind. See the kingdom of heaven. And He always pointed people towards that. If you get this, it'll change how you live. It'll change where you place the focus and priority. If you get that. You won't start just putting out fires everywhere. It's like, fire there, let's get that one out. Fire there, let's get that one out. But you realize that there's something deeper causing all of this. You're not just spinning plates. You're not just going from one activity to the next. And you're looking back underneath, addressing the things that really matter. In faith, in life, in family, in work. Let's get our eyes on there. Let me finish up. Two points. Praise team, come back. First point is this. Prayer works. Right? Get that straight. Prayer works. It does. And when we pray, it works. Something happens. And when we pray, it feels like this is time wasted. Like, what? I'm talking into thin air here. Is anyone listening out there? <laughs> right? Sometimes prayer can feel like that. It feels hollow. Right? Just this echo. It's going, 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 going. And then it's gone, gone, gone. But when I pray in faith, Something can happen. God is there. He's real. He's listening. And He's ready. Prayer works. If you want to affect your reality, start there. Lift it up to your Heavenly Father. Though He already knows our cares and our concerns, He wants to hear it out. He's listening. He wants to move. That's first. Second is this that our private and spiritual life is first. Often we think about our physical life, maybe the outgrowth of our emotional life first. right? But I, I want us to know that if we take care of the private, spiritual side of our lives, the physical, the emotional side, that tends to follow. It tends to follow suit. That when we are healthy and strong on the inside as a person, when true love has taken root, when we are patient people, when character, when values are strong, when these on the inside are firmly bed- embedded naturally, it doesn't matter what environment I'm in, those come out. But when we have to force ourselves to, to help people, when we're ingenuine in our acts of love or sacrifice, that doesn't last very long. It doesn't take us to many wonderful places in life. But when I focus on my private life, when I'm content with who I am and how God made me, the things that He's given to me, that contentment grows out in beautiful ways. When I know I'm loved, that grows out in beautiful ways. When I know how to wait, that grows out in beautiful ways. So let's focus on the private spiritual side, and then, I promise us, those natural things will come. Amen? Amen.